According to Luke, we are in our second sermon of we don't know how many. We believe we'll be here for quite some time. We are excited. We're walking very slowly through the book, certainly at the beginning. We're going extra slow with these birth announcements from the angel Gabriel. We looked at one last week, the announcement to Zacharias, the priest. And this week, we're going to look at Mary's. We've used the beginning title of God Speaks. Last year, God Speaks after 400 years of silence. And this week, God Speaks the Impossible. Obviously, last week, he spoke that as well, but it really gets intensified this week. So we're going to look at Luke 1, 26 to 38. As we read through this biblical narrative, I encourage you to notice one thing, the simplicity of, of this supernatural narrative, if you will. Notice the simplicity in it. In the most profound announcement that has ever been made, this is now the fulfillment of what everything in the Old Testament pointed to, what Israel waited for year after year after year has now finally come. God speaks, and here he will speak the impossible, and we'll take a look at it. Luke 1, 26 to 38, hear now the word of God. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her, and may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment. And all those out on the internet, we ask that you meet each person in their place of deepest need. For those who are not in a saving relationship, make this a word of salvation. For those in the midst of storm winds that are blowing, make it a word of comfort and peace. And for those who are tired and weary and heavy laden, make it a word of rest. All things to all people that some might be saved. Father, we ask that you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Change us from the inside out. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind this day. So come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. 
Okay, as we walk through this narrative, we'll keep in mind the original narrative that we read on Zacharias. We want to look a little bit at how they are similar and how they are completely different, the parallels and the differences, but we're going to look at it under two headings. Number one, the angelic report. God speaks the impossible, the angelic report, and the number two, Mary's response. You will remember the parallels as we walk through this one. Both conceptions are supernatural. One is rooted in old age. The other is rooted in virginity. But there's close similarities there. Both are troubled by uh, troubled in their responses. Zacharias uh, is troubled uh, to, to the angel, angelic announcement, and, and so is Mary. So they're both troubled. The announcement includes the name of the child, so that's similar as well. And Gabriel says to both, fear not, do not be afraid. But there's a number of differences, and probably the most important and significant one is this. The first announcement is in response to prayer. Zacharias and Elizabeth were praying for a child, not necessarily this particular child, but they were praying for a child. She was barren. So the first angelic announcement is in response to prayer. The second, in response to promise. The Lord Jesus Christ was promised from long ago, and now the time has come. There are Old Testament precedences for those who are old to conceive, but there are no precedents for virgin births. So this is completely unique. John is great. You'll see that uh, when we look at Jesus. Today, John is great in the sight of the Almighty, but Jesus is great simply because of who he is. And then finally, to add one more complete difference, John prepares the way. Jesus is the way. So, with that as a way of backdrop, keeping in mind both angelic announcements, let's take a look right now at what the angel has to say to Mary, beginning in verse 26, chapter 1. Notice the time sequence that Elizabeth has been pregnant. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel. Gabriel simply means God is great. To Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Nazareth is 65 to 70 miles away from Jerusalem. It's not a bustling metropolis. It's, it's off the beaten path. And you might remember, you might remember Nazareth being put in this context by Nathaniel in the first chapter of John. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Philip said these words, come and see. And over the next however many weeks, we will come and we will see Not only the goodness, but the greatness that has come out of Nazareth. This promised child who now, in the fullness of God's time, 400 years of silence, God speaks. The intertestamental period between the old and the new, now God speaks. And he speaks the fulfillment of the promise. Now he speaks to a virgin who was pledged to be married. It's important we understand what that means. Take a look at what that word means in the Greek. Menestuo is the Greek word meaning betrothed. But that, we don't have a similar understanding of that in our cultural context because we would compare it to being engaged today, but engagement today doesn't mean what this meant. Many today get engaged and break it off and may do it a number of different times. Back then, when you were betrothed, you were as good as married. And, and the only way to get out of it after being betrothed is a, a, a divorce would be the only way. 
So this is important for us to understand the intensity of the relationship before they were actually married. Mary is 12 or 13 years old, and she's betrothed. Joseph, we don't know, but we could guess he's 13, 14 or so. And they are betrothed to be married, yet they're both living in their own homes. They are not together. The marriage has not been consummated. But they are as good as married in in the eyes of of the people of God. Okay? So it's important that we understand this, this relationship. The virgin's name was Mary. Down to 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I want to take a look at the word, uh, the Greek word for highly favored. It's, it's critical that we get this as we unpack what's being said here and what's not being said. Take a look at the Greek word. Haritao is the Greek word which means the recipient of a benefit. So understanding that, now go back here. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The angel is telling Mary that you are now to be a recipient of something awesome from God. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Okay, Mary's the recipient of God's grace. That's what this means. Now let's take a look at Ephesians 1.6. Then we're going to unpack something that may be familiar to a number of you. It certainly is to me. Ephesians 1.6, the unmerited favor of God to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. There was nothing in Mary. There was nothing in you. There was nothing in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was God's unmerited free grace that he gave to all those who are his. We are saved by grace, which is a gift from God. Now, that brings us to something that needs to be unpacked. When we go back to verse 28 and we see the angel greeting Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. You may be familiar with this term, the Ave Maria. Familiar with that? The word Ave in Latin means hail. So the angel shows up, but he says, hail Mary. Now, I've grown up in the Catholic Church, and I prayed this prayer many times. And after having studied for years uh, through the seminary, Uh, God has been gracious to give a deep understanding of what it is that's actually being prayed here. And I want to take a moment to unpack this with the greatest compassion and the greatest kindness. And yet walking through this biblically to see what it is that's being said. Have you ever sung a Christmas carol or, or, or heard some singing Christmas carols and yet realizing those who don't love the Lord and those who are not Christians having no understanding of what it is they're singing? Have you ever considered Hark the Herald Angels Sing? You'll hear the pagans singing that around Christmas trees. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. They have no idea what they're singing. But it's a great Christmas carol, so we sing it. This prayer needs to be unpacked very briefly this morning. Okay? Take a look. Hail Mary, full of grace. That's true. Every single person saved by God's unmerited favor, is full of grace and Mary in a very, very special way. Only one mother of the Lord Jesus. The Lord is with thee. That's true. In a wonderful, special way. Blessed art thou among. Notice it says among, not above, but among women. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God. Here we just need to qualify what that means. What does mother of God mean? The Greek, theotakos, means to be a God-bearer. We go all the way back to A.D. 431. We go to the Council of Ephesus, 
which determined that this would be an appropriate phrase for Mary being the mother of God. Now, if we confine that title to understanding it applying to Jesus in his humanity as the God-man, then it would be appropriate. But it could be confusing for us to consider that God himself has a mother. Jesus is God. Mary is his mother. Therefore, Mary gets the title of mother of God. And yet Psalm 90, verse 2, and many others tell us, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So when we say that, we have to make sure that we understand that if we're applying that to the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ in his infusion as the God-man, then we can leave it there. But it's accurate to say that Mary is the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has no mother. God has no beginning and God has no end. But here's where we want to be really careful. Ready? Take a look. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Have you ever considered what that means? Those of you who have ever prayed it, like I had for many, many years. Well, first, 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us this. This is, this is asking for intercession. You understand what that means? We're asking for intercession. Many pray to saints, saints, and ask for intercession. Many pray to angels and ask for intercessions. Many pray to Mary. What's the problem with that? It's unbiblical. Why? There's only one mediator. No one hears your prayers but Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can't hear you. Peter, James, and John can't hear you. Mother Mary cannot hear you. Jesus hears you. And it's clear here. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the, the man, Jesus Christ. And I want to be sensitive to that. And I want to be compassionate in sharing that information. And if you have questions, come to me when the service is over. And we can talk through this. But it's important that we unpack this. We are not to be praying to anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He, it, it diminishes who Jesus is in our mind when we pray and we worship something smaller than him. So we ought never to, to include in our prayers something as, as blasphemous as that would be. Pray for us sinners. The only one who can pray for us is the only one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important that we get that. This frees us up to understand who the true mediator is. There's only one. And that's the Lord Jesus. When we get to verse 47, what are we going to read in verse 47 in chapter 1? What does Mary say in, in, in her great prayer? My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Okay? So we need to make sure that we're, we're clear on that. So when we get to this point, we realize that we pray to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the end of our prayers. Amen? Ephesians 2.8. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Let's put it in this context. Mary, in a very special... Here's what we want to be very careful. We don't want to minimize the role that Mary has played in God's unfolding plan of redemption. One mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't want to magnify it beyond that which it was in God's eyes. So we want to keep it in its context. Mary was given great grace, but Mary is in no way the giver of grace. Grace only comes from God. Are we, we clear? It's the only place that grace flows through us. 
from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's it. So when we keep it in its context, it allows us to come to the throne of grace and to worship Jesus rightly. And again, if you have questions, please come and and speak. Back to the passage, verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. What beautiful language for this this potentially 12 or 13-year-old virgin. You have found favor. Never minimize the role that Mary has played. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. The gospel is already preached right then and there to her. What does Jesus mean? It's the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua. And what does it mean? God God saves. God is salvation. She understands she's a Jewish girl. She grew up in a Jewish home. She understands the, the, the picture of salvation from the Old Testament. The picture of one sacrifice after another sacrifice after another sacrifice. That's the picture in the old. Now she's been told by the angel to name him Jesus. Because Jesus now will be the ultimate what? Savior. So in her heart somewhere she knows that there's a cloud that hangs over her. And it will hang over her son. He's come to do what could not be done through the blood of bulls and goats. He's come as the true Lamb of God the only one who will actually take away the sins of the world. And he will go to his death to do that. Powerful picture, beautiful picture of what she's been told. Verse 32, he will be great. Notice here there's no qualification for his greatness as it was for John. John will be great in the sight of the Almighty, but Jesus is simply great because he's Jesus. And will be called the Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his father David. Remember, we have to have the established line that comes through in the Old Testament. The promise given to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and all the way through, through the line of David, taking it all the way back to Genesis 3.15, right? The promised seed, the seed of the woman. Who's the seed of the woman? This one now, who's come? Women have no seed, so that seed has to come from somewhere. And if it isn't going to come from man, it has to come from God. So Jesus is the seed, and the seed now is given to Mary. The seed is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And his kingdom will have no end. He's the only one that you can say that of. Every other kingdom will rise and every kingdom will fall, but of his kingdom there will be no end. And one other point, every king will rise and fall other than the king of this kingdom, for there will be no end to this king. So it's a powerful picture of of the gospel truth that Gabriel is now sharing with Mary. And it even gets more beautiful. Ready? Second Samuel seven sixteen. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. So there's the, the tie-in to David. God is speaking to David and he's reaffirming his promise that of your kingdom, someone will always sit and there will be no end. So Jesus is through the line of David. And then Mary asks this incredible question that all of us would ask, I would think. How will this be in verse 34? Since I am a virgin. What is Mary saying? She's saying, I'm old enough to understand how babies are made. Who's writing the gospel account? Luke. What was one of the hats Luke wore? He was a doctor. Surely a doctor knows how babies are made. Yes. Yes. You know. Well, you don't know yet. Oh, you're a little. No, that's what I like to hear. That's good. She heard that word from the Lord. We all know how babies are made. 
So Mary says, how is this? I don't understand. How is it possible? Now, listen to this language. Perhaps there is no more beautiful passage in all of Scripture than this one here. The angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, what does that do immediately? Back then in Greek mythology, there was a, a, a pagan notion that gods would mate with humans and there would be offspring. Gabriel is making it crystal clear that that is not the case here. Here's what he says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I'm going to take you to an Old Testament text so you can see it in its context. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It removes any pagan notion of God's mating with humans, which was taught in Greek mythology. Zeus mated with a human woman and gave birth to Hercules. You might remember that. But Gabriel is saying, no, we'll have no pagan notions here. This is God's perfect plan in his unfolding plan of redemption. But there's an echo that we all must hear that I'm certain Mary heard. Go with me back into the Old Testament. Go with me to Exodus 40, 35. Watch this. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is the dramatic descending of God's glory cloud in the Old Testament. And God's glory, glory cloud would descend where? In the, in, the, in the holy of holies, the most holy place, in the tabernacle, and in the temple. So, now, so there's an echo there. So we hear that. We, we understand the descending of the, the glory cloud. And now Gabriel says to Mary, that cloud is going to descend over you because you will bear the true tabernacle and the true temple. There'll be no pagan mating here. But the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. And you, as a virgin, will give birth to the promised Messiah. What a beautiful picture. But it doesn't end there. That's the picture for you. What's the picture? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the, of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That, that, that's true. And the power of the Most High has overshadowed you. That's true. Not in the context of a virgin birth, but in the context of your Christian walk. You have been given the same thing that Mary was given as far as grace to empower her to live the Christian life. You have that. The Most High has overshadowed you. And we should live as people who understand that biblical truth. Isaiah 7, 14 is in view. We'll just say it. won't unpack it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him what? Emmanuel, God with us. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then we move to verse 36. This verse tells us that Mary didn't know that Elizabeth was pregnant. So the angel tells her to comfort her. Remember, Mary, we're going to see her response in just a moment. Imagine what Mary's going through. Just put yourself in her shoes for just a moment. It, this, is, this is radical. 
this is crazy. What do you mean? So he brings her a little bit of comfort before he goes. And he says that Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. She's pregnant. And you know she's old and beyond the years of being able to conceive. But she's also going to have a child. She's in her sixth month. And then what does he say in verse 37? For nothing is impossible with God. Let me just make one point on that. We'll come back to that a little bit throughout the, our study over the weeks to come. But many have done great violence to verse 37. They have taken that passage and used it in this context. For nothing is impossible with God. Therefore, God is in you and nothing is impossible for you. Let me make something perfectly clear. 37 says nothing is impossible with God. But let me, let me, let me tell you, there are a lot of things impossible for you. You, you, you understand that? That's the, that's, we can't rip that out of its context and say that that's, that's now a, a carte blanche for you to do whatever you want to do and with God all, you can do anything you want. That's not what it says. First of all, the context is about Mary and Elizabeth. That's number one. But then we can take it from its context. It's deep biblical truth. As R.C. Sproul would often say in seminary, there's a deep biblical truth, but there's countless applications. So we take it to realize that with God, nothing is impossible, right? And then we go to Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we have to then qualify those terms. All the things that God has called you to do, you can do. But there are a lot of things that you simply cannot do. You can't fly by yourself, unaided without some kind of device. Maybe some of you have this intellect and you've been able to figure out wings or something. But you can't get on the top of the church, jump off and go up. You don't do that. That's impossible. There are lots of things that are, and that's okay. But with God, all things are possible, and all of those things that are possible are the things that he is calling you to. The key is to get in line with what? The will of God. What is God calling you to? Remember, remember the Bible says that, that, that the works we are to doing are the works that our hands find to do? What are those works? The, the works that are right before you. Sometimes we're looking out here and looking out there. No, God has given you a great ministry right now, right where you are. Right now, right where you are, God has called you to minister. Our key is to understand what that looks like in our lives. So now let's move to Mary's response, and then we close and we'll go to the Lord's table. This, is a, this helps us never minimize the role that Mary has played by understanding her response. Watch this response and how powerful this really is. Ready? 13-year-old virgin, betrothed. She knows, she knows the consequences of, of what's going to happen. I'm going to show you two of them. And, and, and then keep in mind this response. I am the Lord's servant. It really doesn't say servant. I'm going to show you what it says. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. When was the last time we said that to God? We have a tendency to respond like this. Are you kidding me? Surely you don't mean it. Surely you don't mean that. There must be another way. She doesn't say that. But notice the word servant is really not servant. In the Greek, it's doula. That's the feminine noun from doulos, which means what? Slave. I am the Lord's slave. She's a slave girl. She's a handmaid. What's the difference between a servant and a slave? I'll show you at the end. And those of you who are at the Patriotic, you'll remember what we did that morning and how people responded to that sermon. 
There's a massive difference between the mindset of a servant and the mindset of a slave. This is a slave's mindset. Let it be, let it be to me as you have said. Were there any consequences to this? Well, look at Matthew 119. Ready? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He, he, he understood the law. He understood there was only one way to get pregnant. Man and a woman sleeps together. So he's faithful to the law. And yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, which he could have. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. She knows this. She says, at the bare minimum, I'm going to get divorced. There's no way for me to recover from this. I'm going to be divorced. He's going to throw me out. I'm going to be out on the street. I'm going to be a woman who is marked for the rest of her life. But it could even be deeper than that. Something worse than the divorce. What was that? Deuteronomy 22, 23. If a man meets a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of the town and stone them to death. Can you imagine Mary's response in view of the consequences that she expected? It wasn't as if these consequences, well, I'm sure that I can explain my way out of this, and and, and Lord, I'm sure you'll help me. She, in her mind and in her heart, at the bare minimum, I'm going to get divorced. And perhaps I'm going to be stoned. And she says, may it be unto me as you have said. Oh, my word. Only a slave could say that. Only a slave who understands that they are not their own, that they have been bought at a price, which is the picture that we are to take from this passage in understanding who we are. The mindset of a servant is so different from a slave. As a servant, you can kind of come and go as you please. Serve when you want. Serve when you don't. Serve where you want and when you don't. As a slave, you don't get a vote. God calls and you go. She didn't bargain with Gabriel. May it be unto me as you have said. Wouldn't it be well said of all of us if we were to say that? When God speaks, and God speaks to us all the time, and calls us sometimes into things that we don't understand. And sometimes we wait until all the ducks are in a row before we, before we walk by faith, because we're not really walking by faith, we've got to walk by sight. It doesn't make any sense. If what you're doing doesn't require any faith, you don't need God. God has called you. And he promised to give you what you need in order to do what he's called you to do. We have to have the mindset of a slave. So those at the patriotic, you will remember the sermon. And you will know this. You'll have an edge, so I want you to be a little quieter. Because remember, this is live streamed all over the globe. They're going to hear you. They're going to hear you speak. So you're going to to finish a verse for me in just a moment. Submission is not a good thing today in this cultural context. Neither is slavery. Slavery has some very negative connotations to it. But not in the context context of being a slave to Jesus. Let me make something perfectly clear. Do you realize that you're a slave? You're a slave already, no matter what? What do you mean, pastor? You're either a slave to yourself or a slave to your Savior. What do you mean? You know exactly what I mean. You don't even need to contemplate that, do you? You don't even need to pray over that. We're slaves from birth. Slaves to sin, Satan, and death, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we have an opportunity when Jesus comes to change masters from the self to the Savior. But submission is not attractive. Powerlessness is not attractive. 
And yet Mary could not have been more powerless. And she says, may it be unto me as you have said. Okay? I want you to finish this first for me. Ready? Matthew 25, 21. Say it loud. You know it in its context. So I want you to finish it for me. Ready? Well done, good and faithful. Right. Wrong. Well done, good and faithful. It's do loss. As John MacArthur would say, it is always and in every context interpreted as slave. You know the difference between a slave and a servant. When we preached on the patriotic day, we had the choirs here. One of the members in the choir, Adam, he was there singing. He listened. They all stayed and listened to the sermon. And uh, when it was over, we had made an announcement that we were always looking for more volunteers. Always. And uh, so some, you know, every week somebody signs up, a few people, for, to, to volunteer, to serve in the church. There's lots of ways to serve. So later in that day, I was given the sheet to look at, and Adam signed up on the sheet. And it had a category, where, category for serving. And he wrote one word. Slave. So immediately I brought him in, had him cleaning toilets and scrubbing the... No, come on. Come on. I got that. No, I clean him. We all clean him. Why? We're serving Jesus. (laughs) Do you realize that there's no menial service in the world? None? Unless it's service that isn't done to the glory of God. Every single thing that you do has meaning and significance if it's done for God's glory. Whether you're a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker, who cares what you do? As long as you're doing it for him. That's the only place that you'll find meaning and purpose and significance in this world. When you're living for yourself, you shrink the size of your life down to the size of your life. You do what Adam and Eve did. You deny the very humanity that God has given to you. Adam and Eve were created by God for God. They were created to expand the borders of their lives to the boundaries of God's kingdom. And they shrunk it down to themselves. They chose to live for nothing bigger than for themselves. And they became slaves to themselves. But when Jesus comes, and that knock on that heart, and he opens that heart wide, and he raises you from death to life by grace through faith, And every moment of every day, you have an opportunity to choose this day, as Joshua said, whom you will serve. Will you serve yourself, or will you serve your Savior? And how does Joshua respond? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Slaves to the Savior. It's the only place to live. It's the only place that will rock your world from the inside out, whether you're a student or a senior adult. That's it. That's the place where you're, listen to me, there's a crossroads that you're supposed to find in life, and let me tell you where it is. It's the place where your greatest passion intersects with the world's greatest need, and that's where God has called you to be a slave. You heard the gospel. Perhaps you've never surrendered control to Christ. Today is a day of invitation to you. You know what an invitation is. You're invited. You're invited to the table. You're invited to sup with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are invited at this point to exchange masters, to exchange yourself with your Savior by transferring your trust to Christ. Jesus said, come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
The only rest you will ever find on this side of the grave is when you are resting in Christ and serving him as a slave. Jesus Christ says, come. Will you do that today? Will you transfer your trust from yourself to him? If you do that today as we pray, come see me after. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gospel message. We thank you for the truth. We thank you that we have been raised from death to life by the power of the Most High that has overshadowed us. Father, give us a clear understanding of the difference between a servant and a slave. May we always serve you in a way that that even when we cannot trace you, we trust you, that we are fully dependent upon you, and that our hearts beat for nothing smaller than Jesus. Father, if anyone right now has never surrendered control, make this a prayer of salvation. Raise them from death to life and give them the confident assurance that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion. And along the way, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And this we thank you for in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. We come to the Lord's table. If you are a member... In the church of Jesus Christ, you profess.